Welcome to another episode of the Untoxicated Podcast. I'm Matt Salis, and today I want to talk about a topic that is very close to my heart. I find parenting teenagers to be terrifying. I was totally comfortable changing diapers, teaching my kids to ride bikes and how to ski. I even feel comfortable with the prepubescent cauldron of body odor and curse words that is middle school. But I am so afraid I'm going to mess up as a parent in the high school years. And that's probably because that's when my drinking career got started and I started making bad decisions that had massive negative impacts on my adult life. Connecting with teens, getting them to really listen and not just blow me off like I blew off all the adults in my life when I was in high school, that's something that I have researched and asked a lot of questions about. The advice I have received is as consistent as it is hard for me to believe. But I've heard it enough now. And I've had enough success communicating with teens that I believe it to be true. It all comes down to authenticity. I have to be myself. Teenagers have a special talent for sniffing out BS. We've got to give them the truth, trust that they can handle it, and hope they're listening. This is an example of what I mean. I wrote a speech to deliver to the students at a high school that has recently experienced a series of brazen and dangerous incidents with alcohol abuse. This is a medium to large size public school with tons of ethnic diversity and a range of socioeconomic groups from entitled upper middle class students down to kiddos trying to survive poverty and homelessness. This school has it all. Here is the speech. This is me trying to be authentic in an effort to reach all of them. My eyes sprang open and locked on the blades of the ceiling fan above my bed. My face was drenched with sweat, and my heart was racing. I couldn't get enough air. My breathing was gaspy, rapid, and shallow. It felt like I was falling or drowning or trying to run from an attack. I was awake, but in some kind of semi-conscious state of transcendence between the relative safety of my own bed, my own home, and the hell I had descended into. I was there in the quiet darkness of night, but I was dying. Slowly, but most certainly, my soul was trying to exit the body I was meticulously and systematically destroying. It was 3.07 a.m., and I was emerging from sleep and returning to full consciousness. The weight of my self-torture pressed down on my limp body like my house was caving in. I wasn't dreaming, but my reality was a complete nightmare. I had done it again. Again! I had planned to have a few beers and relax on a Sunday afternoon. Instead, I drank until the beers were gone, then took the sneaking slugs of vodka from the bottle on the top of the kitchen pantry. I was a 43-year-old business professional with a wife, four healthy children, and a nice house. I had everything I could ask for. I had a family who loved me. I had enough of everything I needed. I had lots of friends, and I had the respect of my neighbors, my entire community even. But that's not all I had. I had an addiction to alcohol, and it was poised to take everything I had. I couldn't be an alcoholic. Not me. I had an admirable career, a beautiful family, two paid-off cars, and a neatly manicured lawn. Alcoholics are bums who live in the gutter. Alcoholics wear sweaty v-neck t-shirts and beat their wives. That wasn't me. I went to church every Sunday. I attended my kids' school and 
sporting events. I paid my bills. I waved politely to all my neighbors. I had never lost a job, never lost a marriage, never forgotten to pick up a kid, never had any financial trouble, never gotten a DUI, never. I could never be an alcoholic. I drank like everyone else. A grown man deserves a couple of drinks after work. An adult has earned the right to cut loose at parties and have a few too many sometimes. A contributing member of society shouldn't have to answer to anyone when he wants to relax and watch the game and lose count of the number of beers he puts down. I was normal. Well, normal or not, something wasn't right. I was sick. I was sick of being filled with shame and losing control of my drinking again. I was sick of my wife's resentment from nasty comments I would make when drinking. I was sick of debilitating alcohol-induced depression that threatened to keep me from my high-functioning life on a daily basis. I was sick of the night sweats and the pounding heart rate. I was sick and I could deny the prognosis no longer. I was sick, and if I didn't stop drinking, my sickness was going to kill me. There are well over 15 million actively drinking alcoholics in America right now walking among us, and most of them look a lot like me. They're holding on to jobs and holding on to families and holding on to the respect of their communities. Holding on, most of them are just barely holding on. And until a few years ago, I was one of them. I was holding on too. I didn't drink in the morning or drink at work. I didn't even drink every day, and I went days, even weeks, between episodes of overconsumption. But years of heavy drinking, starting in my teens, had changed my brain function permanently. Alcohol had hijacked my pleasure center, leaving me depressed most of the time, and the shame associated with my affliction had become overwhelming. Drinking eased my depression and anxiety, but like the self-fulfilling prophecy that alcohol is, drinking also made the depression and anxiety come roaring back when I was sober. It was like trying to put out a fire by drowning it in gasoline. And the blazing inferno that was my self-hatred had fully engulfed my life. I wasn't quite suicidal, but that's just because I had too many responsibilities that I loved. I didn't want to kill myself, but I didn't want to be alive anymore either. Don't let that subtle distinction fool you. I most definitely wanted to be dead. How did I get there? My life probably looked a lot like most of yours. I grew up in a house where alcohol was treated like a reward for adulthood, a sign of a successful life, an accent for most every occasion. Alcohol was normalized. My father was a responsible but consistent drinker, and so was the grandfather I emulated, my role models, my heroes. They drank beer, wine, and booze, and I never even considered not drinking to be an option. I knew even when I was too young to know, I would drink when I grew up. As a kid, when I brought my dad a beer on a Saturday afternoon, he gave me a sip as a reward. It felt great. I always felt a little older, a little more mature, maybe even a little more respected. That's what drinking symbolized, and I wanted it all. In middle school, a couple of friends and I found a six-pack of beer hidden in the branches of a tree. We climbed to get it, ran into the woods at the edge of our neighborhood, and slugged down two each. It felt exhilarating. The buzz was tremendous. The rebellious rule-breaking was thrilling, and the threat of getting caught, you know, either by our parents or by the high schoolers who had clearly hidden the beer, that thrill was intoxicating. It was an adventure I'll never forget, and it left me thirsty for more. I attended a big high school with lots of cliques and social groups. I was an athlete, but not the best athlete. I was smart, but not the smartest. I was in a club or two, but I wasn't the most extracurricular. 
I had lots of friends, but I wasn't the most popular student by any stretch of the imagination. I know a lot of you, and the best I can tell, I was like most of you. I got invited to some, but not all, of the parties. Social status was very important to me. I didn't want to do anything to jeopardize my reputation with the socially elite, and I wanted more, not fewer, warm welcomes to parties and social events. So I drank. I drank every chance I got. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't all about being one of the cool kids. I like to drink, too. I like to feel my inhibitions melt away. I like to feel braver and more outgoing. I like to take risks and say whatever was on my mind without regard for who it would anger or who it would hurt. Do you know what that feeling is? It's the ethanol in beer or vodka inhibiting proper brain function. It's the killing of brain cells. I knew it when I was your age. I just didn't care. My friends and I used to joke about it. Well, I guess I don't think that joke's very funny anymore. Let's drink a poison that will slur our speech, help us make bad decisions, allow us to do things with our bodies we would never do when thinking straight, and risk our health and our futures? Party! Let's drink! Maybe we can destroy everything in just one night. So the decision to drink in high school never really was a decision for me at all. I was going to drink because the adults I admired drank. I was going to drink because I wanted to fit in with the cool kids. And I was going to drink because nothing else gave me the same thrill. I knew I would get punished if I got caught, and I did get caught from time to time. But that didn't matter because I was fearless. Alcohol could do so much to enhance my life, and alcohol could never, ever hurt me. I was too smart, too well-raised, and in such good company with all the other kids who were doing exactly the same thing I was doing. There was nothing to fear. DUIs were for the derelict who fell off the bar stool and spilled into the car and was stupid enough and careless enough to drive anyway. Teenage pregnancy? That was for kids too stupid to figure out how to operate a condom or too careless to even try. I knew I took risks when I drank, but I wasn't stupid or careless enough to ruin my life. So what did I do? I consumed a substance that by design made me more stupid and more careless as often as I could. Fearless. Alcohol couldn't possibly hurt me. So there really was no decision to make. Drinking was my destiny. It never even crossed my mind that I could say no and possibly live a happy life. My role models, my need for social acceptance, and my love of the buzz made my relationship with alcohol a foregone conclusion. In a way, I was an alcoholic before I ever took my first drink. My environment, my culture, my society would make sure of that. I was just along for the ride. In college, I joined a fraternity that had a strong reputation for heavy drinking. I had an in at another, more prestigious fraternity on campus. You know, the one where all the cool kids were? But I rejected that opportunity because that house had a reputation for cocaine usage. I didn't want any part of that for both legal and health reasons. I chose the beer and vodka fraternity because everything in my life so far had convinced me alcohol couldn't hurt me. Just like back in high school, I was fearless. I made some of the best friends of my life and had some of the best times imaginable in those four years and drinking became the center of my universe. I dramatically underperformed academically and earned a B-minus average when A's were easily attainable with minimal effort. I never missed a party, and I had a constant supply of beer, vodka, and cigarettes I shared with my friends on a consistent basis. I gained 40 pounds in a hurry, courtesy of beer and pizza, and left my joy for participating in athletics far in the rearview mirror. And sprinkle into the fun times drinking until I puked, becoming a clinically obese person, and drowning my academic potential, and thus my future career, 
in hops and barley, sprinkled into the fun, were some truly death-defying times. I said things to big dudes that could have gotten me killed if the situation was just a little less friendly, and I drove or got into cars with people who had no business behind the wheel. Then there was the time I got so drunk and disoriented that I couldn't find my way home and passed out on the edge of the woods without a jacket in a 35-degree driving rainstorm. I was so cold when I awoke that I could feel my breathing had all but stopped. I cheated death. Not a joke. I put my life in so many terrible situations that I literally deserved to die. As an, as an adult, my normalization of frequent drinking continued. Cocktails at home after work, Friday afternoon happy hours with work colleagues, and weekends full of boozy dinners with friends, house parties, and Saturday nights closing down the bars. My behavior was normal. Almost everyone I knew and absolutely everyone I chose to spend time with drank just like I did. The choice to drink was easy because I didn't know I had a choice. By this point, I didn't know how to have fun without a drink in my hand. That fact would have scared me if I had known any better. I had given my life over to alcohol slowly and insidiously over years of drinking like I didn't have a choice. The damage was done. Eventually, my brain would only allow my body to feel good with alcohol in my system. I struggled and drank and fought for control and drank and suffered and drank and I did it for a couple of decades before I found my way out of the pit of desperate despair. Getting sober is far and away the hardest thing I'll likely ever do. Remember the over 15 million alcoholics I told you about before? The vast majority of them will never get out. Most of them will fight alcohol-induced anxiety and depression all the way to their graves. Over 3 million people die each year due to alcohol. When you add in the number of cases of cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and organ failure directly caused by alcohol abuse, nothing kills as many people as alcohol. Nothing. So what started as harmless fun, what started as a sign of maturity and a necessary ingredient for a good time, the decision we make when we really don't have a choice, that fun in a bottle, is the deadliest substance of our own human invention and proliferation in the history of mankind. Doesn't sound like quite as much fun when I put it that way, does it? Politicians, the news media, and school officials are all very concerned about mental health, vaping, and opioids these days. And for good reason. Those epidemics are serious and deadly and deserve our attention. But alcohol destroys more lives than all three of those issues combined. And alcohol abuse demands our attention. Still think alcohol can't hurt you? Still feeling fearless? Given the statistics... Just think how many lives we can save if we just get your attention just a little bit. Everyone knows how dangerous mental illness, vaping, and drugs are. What would happen if we woke up and realized alcohol is dangerous too? If I wanted to watch your eyeballs roll back in your head and lose your attention, this is the part where I'd cite statistics and government studies about how damaging alcohol abuse is to young developing minds and how the damage done in your teens is often permanent and shortens your life expectancy and puts you at a higher risk of disease later in life. If I wanted to lose you, that's where I'd go. But the statistics and studies bore me too, so you're just going to have to take my word for it. Or look it up yourself later. All this information is out there, readily available. It's there for us to continue to ignore, all in the name of teenage fearlessness. Look, I'm not here to try to scare you into never drinking again. Not only would that be a waste of my time, but if your abstinence was my goal, my goal would be outrageously unrealistic. I would fail and we would just have wasted 20 of our mutual minutes. 
I don't expect you all to say no. I just want you to turn alcohol consumption back into a choice with two acceptable answers, yes or no. Make refusing to drink a socially acceptable option. Let your peers weigh the pros and cons, make the decision that feels right to them without your influence. When someone arrives late at a party, don't encourage them to catch up. My friend Jason Anderson spoke the truth about his slingshot theory. No one ever catches up when they start late. When they drink to catch up, they go ripping past everyone else there at the party, and soon they're the drunkest person there, often with lethal consequences. And apply the choice to weed and sex and vaping and the other substances you pursue fearlessly. Why would you pressure your friends into partaking anyway? If you leave them alone, you leave more of the exhilarating bad decision for yourself. Be a selfish drinker. Be a selfish smoker. Make alcohol an option with two acceptable answers. But don't do any of this for me. I'm just a crusty old alcoholic 30 years removed from knowing anything about your life, your problems, or your fun times. Make alcohol a choice with two acceptable answers for each other. Do it for the friends you love. Take no for an answer and feel confident enough to choose to say no yourself. Do you remember the story I opened with about me staring at the ceiling fan in a cold sweat with my heart racing and panicked breathing, wishing I was dead? Look at the person on your left. Now look to the person on your right. You probably expect me to tell you one of the three of you will end up an alcoholic like me. Well, I wish the odds were that much in your favor. The truth is that all three of you, every single person in this room, will be significantly impacted by alcohol addiction. If you don't become addicted, it will be a parent or a child, a friend or a spouse, an uncle or a cousin. Someone you love will fall victim to alcoholism with drastic negative consequences on your life. Shh. Don't tell anyone. Let's keep this disease of hushed whispers and stigmatized shame just between us. If everyone wakes up and sees the alcohol abuse all around us, we might just be forced to do something about it. Maybe that can start with you. Maybe you can give a friend a break today that will help them avoid a lifetime of misery. Maybe you can make drinking a choice and accept either of the answers and save some classmates from wishing they were dead a couple of decades from now. You have a choice to make. And I'm not so out of touch with reality that I'm trying to convince you that abstinence is the only answer. You have a choice to make. You can tap the brakes on your own self-righteousness and let someone else make his own choice. Do you want to be a friend? Take no for an answer. Do you want to be brave? Make your own decision and respect the choices of others. Do you want to be fearless? Face the challenges without numbing your brain and hiding from reality. Live your life. Live for your future. Live your truth. Be the person you were meant to be, alert, enthusiastic, and sober. Deal with life on those terms. Live a life you can be proud of. Fun and stress relief, they aren't hiding from you in the bottom of a bottle. Make it a choice, then make your choice a good one. Change the culture into one where both answers are acceptable. Show the world what it really means to be fearless. The end. That's the speech. As much as it scares me, I love working with teenagers and trying to help them take their lives in their best possible direction because they've got their whole adulthood in front of them, and the decisions they make have such an enormous impact on their future. I'd love to help the teens in your life, too. If you're interested in having me speak to your school or your organization, please contact me at matt at soberandunashamed.com or visit our website 
at soberandunashamed.com. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast. I'm Matt Salis, and I'd love to hear what you think in the comments or by email. Thanks for listening, and thanks for caring about our kids.